going to start with prayer. Today's lesson is a heart for the King. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I thank you for this opportunity to be able to teach your word, to talk about what it means to have a heart for you. I praise you right now. I give you glory and I pray that every person that hears this message, that their ears would be enlightened, not just in a way where they're impressed or they think it's a good thought or they think it's a good word, but enlightened in the sense where their heart receives it and begins to believe what they're hearing. I thank you today and I pray that this seed, that this word would have fruit in our lives and we would be able to see it soon. In Jesus' name, amen. So today talking about a heart for the king. I'll do my very best to keep this very simple. It is seemingly complicated because there's multiple facets to what I'm about to say and talk about today, but I will do my very best to keep it simple. So I'm just going to say amen. You say amen with me uh, as we go along um, just to make sure we're on the same page, okay? So starting off in the Bible, there's something called the Hebrew Shema. Um, Jews would say Shema. It is a declaration of love for God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God, one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. It's a declaration, but more importantly, it's a commandment from God. God is commanding or demanding for man to love him. And this is coming from the law. This is coming from the Old Testament. Now, having said that, we understand that we're in a covenant of grace. And what is the difference between a covenant of grace and the old covenant of the law? The law demands from man in which man himself, in himself, of himself, in his own ability, cannot attain to what God requires. Man can try, and man has tried, to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. And some have claimed to even achieve this at different times. There was a man in the Bible who, who we will be talking about today who had a heart after God. And most conversations we have about having a heart for God will be about this man. And today, I'm actually going to take a different perspective on that. So going back to, to, to the Shema is 
David probably sung this declaration. He would sing it in Hebrew, Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, so on and so forth. He would sing this while plucking his harp. Most likely he would sing this because it's in the law. And so David, in his time, he was anointed king before he ever became king. And so today we're going to go through a parallel talking about David and talking about Jesus and how David is a type of Jesus. We've talked about before Joseph being a type of Jesus. And type. this is what we would call typology. So basically having an example, David being an example, not a perfect example, because obviously David was a actual person who lived an actual life. His name was not Jesus. So when we go into the New Testament, we can see parallels. We can see that things happened in a similar way for David that they happened for Jesus. The first example being that David was anointed king, but he did not reign as king initially. And we understand that Jesus was anointed king. He was the Messiah, the chosen king, but he has not and is not reigning as king just yet. Yes, he reigns as king of our hearts, but he's not physically reigning as he will in the second coming. When he comes back for his people, he will reign as king at that time. And so you kind of see this example begin to open up using that parallel. Now, we'll kind of go right into this because you'll see in the law, man being demanded to have a heart after God, right? That's the subject today, a heart for the king. And so we're going to talk about David's servants and we're going to talk about Jesus' servants, okay? Men who served David, men who served Jesus. And we're going to give examples of, of different levels of servanthood that are found in this parallel. So we'll only go through four levels today. And I want to start this as the foundation. First Samuel 22, 1 through 2. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. Adullam in Hebrew means justice, the cave of justice. And when his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, okay, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves. Oh, I missed one. I'm sorry, guys. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. You see three, the three Ds, right? This is You could call it the 3D army if you would like distressed, in debt, and discontented. This is the Bible. It's kind of cool how it does that. But they gathered themselves unto him. So these people came to David, and he became captain over them, and they were about 400 men. So David became a captain or a king over 400 men, but all of these people, okay, they were discontented. They were, imagine starting an army with everyone in your army in debt. Everyone in your army has some kind of distress. Everyone in your army is somehow um, um, discontented, not satisfied, frustrated in life, right? David was not yet king, but since he was anointed king, right, he gave refuge to those who were in distress, debt, and discontented in the cave of justice. David's place where he resided, where the, he brought these people in, was the cave of justice. And so this was his army. This was the people chosen for battle. David would use these people in the near future to fight a battle. And Jesus, when he came, it's a very similar story. 
Jesus started an army with the lowliest of men. And I want to say this, the church is for imperfect people, people that aren't perfect, people that are in distress, people that aren't satisfied with life, people that are frustrated, people that are in debt. Imagine starting a church and every one of your members is in debt. Imagine that. And that happens because God chooses the lowliest of men. Well, why would God do that? Why would God, as the scripture says, choose the weak things of this world to confound the wise? And so this cave was a cave for justice for the weak. Jesus was a home. Jesus had a heart for those that were in need, that were struggling. You can look at his disciples, fishermen, tax collectors. You have a... a, a uh, tax collectors that were extremely grimy in a sense, right? <laughs> you have Zacchaeus, right? Jesus ministered to him, talked to him, blessed him, and went into his home and demonstrated an extreme amount of grace to a man like that. When Jesus chose his disciples, he chose those that were the lowliest of men. And so, Starting off, we look at the story of David, and this is the unique thing about David's army, is that they got the same anointing he got. David was a giant killer. The only thing that was, you could say, above par about his army was him. David was the only thing that was above par with his army. He was a soldier. He was a fighter. He is the one that fought a lion. He is the one that fought Goliath. He's the one that picked up five stones. And some say he picked up five stones because he had five. Um, Goliath had four other brothers. But David picked up five stones, only used one on Goliath, slung that stone, killed Goliath. So he had an anointing to kill giants. He had an anointing to kill things that were bigger than him, stronger than him, and overcome extremely difficult obstacles by the Spirit of the Lord. And so in 1 Chronicles 20, 4 through 8, and it came to pass, and I'll, I'll just read it for you. And it came to pass after this, that there arose war in Gerzer with the Philistines, at which Sebekai, the Hushtite, slew Sepai, that was of the children of the giant, and they were subdued. So some of these men, okay, that David had are included in this story. And there was war again with the Philistines. So the, this is David's army fighting with the Philistines. And Elhanan, Elhanan is Eli Grace, is God is Grace. And so you see even through the names that God is Grace is actually in the story. Elhanan, the son of Jer, slew Lemai, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. And yet again, there were four and twenty. Uh, they're talking about fingers. Six on each hand, six on each foot, and he was also the son of the giant. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So notice this is that David's servants ended up having the same anointing. The same anointing that he had. And you can use David as a pastor. You can use David as a type of Christ, right? We're, we're using him as an example of type of Christ. But if we use them as like, for example, as a pastor, you would say, um, maybe for myself as an example, of course, this is all glory to God. But 
by grace, me personally, I've been an overcomer of very meticulous, difficult, uh, hard situations in my life. And that's the anointing that I carry is that difficult things happen to me because by grace, I overcome those difficult things. And God shows himself very strong in my life by me overcoming those difficult things, by God giving me strength, wisdom, guidance, understanding on how to do it. And so it can be passed from me to you. And the hope would be is you would have that same anointing to overcome your situation. Anything that's difficult in your life that, yes, it might come. Yes, it might happen. Yes, you might feel discouraged by some complicated thing that you can't control. But the simple fact is, is that you're anointed to overcome. And your strength is the Lord. You don't rely on, on shield and sword like David didn't rely on shield and sword. That was his anointing. But he relied on the spirit of the Lord. And this is how God established his kingdom. This is how David started his kingdom. This is how Jesus started his kingdom with the lowliest of men. Why the lowliest of men? Because God sends him an army that would fully depend on him. That would fully depend on God. He doesn't send him an army of tacticians, of very skillful men who know how to war and who know how to do certain things. No, it's men who know how to depend on the Lord. It's men who understood mercy and grace, men who understood that their only ability to overcome, their only ability to win a war, okay, was by God and his mercy and his grace. And so having said that, yeah, all of us are servants. You believe the gospel, Jesus died, buried, resurrected, we're all servants. But in the kingdom, there are different levels of servanthood. There are different levels of servanthood, and that's what we're going to talk about right now, the four levels of servanthood. Now, I want to correct something because when we use the word levels, often we presume that one is better than the other. When it's by grace, none are better than the other. Um, even Jesus, um, John, John, Jesus gave an example when he was uh, about to die right, right before the supper. And all the disciples were arguing, arguing who is the greatest among men? Who is the greatest among us? They were trying to find out who the greatest disciple was. Jesus is like at this intense moment where he's about to die. And they're sitting here arguing who's the greatest. And Jesus pointed out it is the lowliest. It is the servant who is the greatest. That was his whole demonstration is that he was going to reign as king eventually, whether the Jews accepted him right then and there, or whether they accept him in the second coming. It makes no difference. But the type of king that he was was a serving king. So he set that example very plainly on how to become the greatest disciple. How do you become the greatest servant? How do you become a man after God's own heart? How do you become a man with a heart after the king? These are the questions that we're trying to answer. And it starts somewhere. We all start somewhere. So what I'm saying is, is we're not comparing each other to say, oh, I'm on level one and you're on level four. No, we all want to get to level four. And you'll see why. And you'll see, you'll see the beauty of level four. But level one starts this. This is just the base level. And I'm explaining it this way so that you have a way to understand it. Okay. Um, if you go back to Samuel 22, one through two, you'll notice that David starts off with 400. Okay. Now, they only come because they see hope in David, right? They come, amen, they see hope in David. And as they see hope in David, 
They see hope for him to solve their problems, their distress, their debt. What are they hoping him in, in? They're hoping that he'll become king as it looks like, right? It looks like that's going to happen because David has that anointing. They believe in that anointing, right? And that's where the basis of all of us are. We would start our journey with God believing Jesus is, is God or Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And the parallel, we're going to go to Luke 10, 9 and 10. 9 and 10 and Samuel, First uh, and Second Samuel are going to be the bulk of scripture that we use. So we're going to go back and forth between these two to really see the difference in the parallels in the examples. So the New Testament example you're going to find is Luke 10, 1. And I'm going to read it for you. And these things the Lord appointed other 70 also after these things the lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come so the 400 is in samuel right under david under king david and the 70 is under jesus so these two are very similar in nature this is the this is level one you're a disciple, right? Luke 9. In Luke 9, they were disciples. These were the same people, okay, that Jesus fed loaves of bread and fishes to. They were caught up. And this is very plain, as you can see in, in the story. They were very caught up in the entourage, in the, in the, in the craziness. It's something new. It's something cool. This man is providing for our needs. And that's where level one starts, right? It's, it's kind of out of convenience. It's that I have a need and I come to God and he provides my needs. So I serve him as long as he provides my needs. And when maybe when he stops providing my needs, I stop serving him. You'll find that some of these people that probably did miracles, signs and wonders were the same people at the cross screaming, crucify him. They were of the 70 because there was only one disciple left at the foot of the cross when it was all said and done. Now, these men were there as long as they didn't have to die. Another example, a, a, a perfect example in the story of David is there's a man named Joab. This man was a man who served the king, but he killed David's son, Abimelech. David said, do not kill my son. And this servant of David, Okay, ends up taking his son's life. So this is in around level one. This man's name was actually omitted from the mighty men of David. David had a listing of men that were called the mighty men of David. They're known as the mighty men. This man was in the front lines always, always fighting David's battles, always there. He was a servant of God. He did some stuff for God, but he did it at his own will. Job was a man who served the king, but he killed David's son Abimelech. He served the king and the kingdom, but in his own way. And that's the saddest part about it. He served only at a convenience in his own way in the way he wanted to. And this is the thing is that the Bible tells us how to approach God. And if you're going to try to approach God on your own way, you're not demonstrating a heart for the king. 
So this is where level one is. It's at a convenience. It's at a, as long as I don't have to die. As long as if there's no drama, as long as there's no drama in the church, as long as there's nothing extra that I have to do, as long as I don't have to give, as long as I don't have to support, you know, and that's okay. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound condemning toward this kind of person. And it seems like that. I know, I know, I know it seems like that, but I'm just making a point here is that the first level of servanthood is Jesus is strictly there for my needs and anything more is is a little too much for me that doesn't demonstrate a heart for the king that demonstrates a heart for yourself and god will help ourselves god will bless us and god will pick us up and god will lead us but if you're 10 years in your walk with god and you have stayed at this level we would hope and pray that you would seek god to get to the next level and this is the next level level two and this level i mean you're fruitful in this level you're doing amazing things for this level and i'm gonna say it straight out this level is a servant hood where you're here for the cause you're here for the kingdom it's not about the king and it's not necessarily out of convenience this is a noble approach right there's people that are like yeah i'll serve the kingdom I'm here for the kingdom. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring people to Jesus. But it's not really about Jesus. It's not really about having a relationship with God. They're willing to do the work. They're willing to do some work. They're willing to help. Right? And it, but it's still somewhat out of convenience. And here, we'll read about some of these men. Um, 2 Samuel 23, 18-23 says, Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruah, was chief of another three. So this man was chief of three. He lifted his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore, he became their captain. So this man killed 300 by himself. Pretty pretty cool, right? However, he did not attain to the first three. So there's another level after this. It's already kind of giving giving the lesson away, right? There's another level of, of three after this. But these are the three of three. You would just call these the three of three. Is that there's David, okay? And then there's David having three of his top warriors. And these are the three after that. They're on the lower level. And so I'll keep reading. And he had also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of the pit. Sorry, I skipped a verse. Uh, verse 20. Um, Benadai, the son of Jedodiah, the son of a valiant man from Kabzil, who had done many, many deeds, he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. I love the Bible and how it's so detailed. It's it just like this guy went and fought a lion in snow. Have you ever tried to walk in snow? It's very difficult. Imagine fighting a lion in snow. I could imagine that being very difficult. But this man was was a was a was a warrior and he took out that lion in verse 21. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. I like <laughs> the Bible explains people in such detail. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he he went down to him with a staff, so he went with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. I mean, these are like movies. This is stuff happens in movies. These things 
Benai, the son of Jedediah, did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Okay, so notice notice how it mentions it multiple times. They did not attain to the first three. This is level two. Okay, and this is where, yeah, you do wonderful works. And it's about the kingdom. You're in it for the cause. And on the side of Jesus, if you go back to Luke 9, 1 through 4, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils to cure disease. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. So notice how they went to go preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house you enter in, there abide and thence depart. So these disciples, you can you can note something here about the 12 disciples. So the three of three and the 12 disciples, these are the parallel here. So these disciples, majority of them disappeared when Jesus was crucified. They disbanded. They were here for the cause of the kingdom. They were chosen to do amazing works okay this is the level of working for the kingdom you are working for the cause of the kingdom but once he died once the cause was gone once they once we're not we're no longer going to establish the kingdom because jesus is dead right their mission was gone they needed the king they needed a, a purpose they needed a cause and so they followed god because they had a great need for a cause and I would say even so, like, and and this is this is hard to even say, but if you serve God just because you like want purpose, yeah, we need purpose. We're made with a need for purpose. But even this isn't the highest level of serving God, having purpose or having a need for a purpose, right? This is just a level of serving the kingdom. And so I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to implore or to challenge or to, 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 to say it's time for us to grow in our servanthood. What does that mean? Is that we would become more fruitful for God. We would end up doing more for God without having a works mentality, though. How do we get there? How do we get there without thinking we're working for our own salvation? How do we get there without working to think that somehow if I do more, then I'm closer to God? Right. We talk from a grace perspective. Amen. We talk from a grace perspective. So. They didn't attain to the first three. And you'll note here that I'm still in Luke. Right. You see the 70. You see the 12. Now. Here's the next level. And usually most preachings would stop at level three. We would be like level three. That's where it's at. Right. You want to be level three. Amen. No, <laughs> no. amens to that because it was level four. You're like, I want to get there. Um, don't even know what it is yet. So level three, you guys ready? Here it goes. Second Samuel 23, eight through 17. OK, I'm going to do some reading. This is a little bit lengthy, so bear with me. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Johesh. So. I'm not going to say this name. I'm actually going to read it. There's a, um, it's 2 Samuel 23, 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, the technomite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was 
Edino, the Esnite, he lifted up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. Man, look how fruitful this guy is. This guy took out 800 people by himself at one time. This is David. This is David's top dog right here. This is like one of David's top three, okay? Verse 9, and after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahuite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. The people ran away from these Philistines that were coming. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. So I'm, I'm going to finish on 13 right now, but there's a man in there. Did, did you see his name? Dodo? See, you can be a Dodo and still be God's top three. That's a joke. Sorry. Um, verse 13 then the three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam so you'll note this is the same story right we're talking about the cave Adullam uh, the cave of justice the same men these are the men in the cave these are the men that are in distress and debt and, and these guys are doing crazy works like they have a crazy history of, of, of great works for the kingdom Obviously, in the New Testament, we do not murder. So we're not around killing 800 people. We don't no longer kill, right? Under the law, they, they killed. Under the law, there was death. But in grace, there's life. When the law of Moses came, what happened? 3,000 died by the sword. When the law came down from the mountain, 3,000 people died. When the spirit fell and grace began to take over and the, and the new covenant came in, what happened? The spirit fell. On the day of Pentecost, this is when the law came, it's the first Pentecost. When the Spirit came, it's the second Pentecost. And so what happens is the Spirit comes, 3,000 people are then added to the church. So the Spirit gives life. So you're talking about if this is you in the new covenant, right? You're not killing 800 people. You're healing 800 people. You're blessing people in, in mass quantities and doing it with such grace and with such passion and with such uh, uh, ability, it seems, right? The world would call it ability, but we understand that it's all God. So verse um, 13, and we're kind of halfway through, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Raphaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So the Philistines were in Bethlehem. Understand David's from Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They went and they drew the water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it for me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men that were, went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Wow. David just, he didn't request water. 
he just expressed himself that he was thirsty for the waters of Bethlehem. He knew the waters. He was from Bethlehem. And his three mighty men heard him, heard his heart, heard what he wanted, and without question went into the Philistines camp, went into the enemy's camp, okay, by night, went in, got water for him, brought it back, risking their lives, risking it all without a second thought in their minds. And this is part of actually having a heart for the king. These men actually had a heart for the king. Yes, in level three, you have a heart for the king. These men loved David. They risked everything for David. It was no longer about convenience. It was no longer about what I can get from David. It was no longer about, is he going to be able to help me? It was about David, his king, and we are going to protect him, and we're going to make sure his every need and every desire is satisfied. This is where you get to the point that by grace, you become well-pleasing to God, and you have a heart to please God. Not to be saved, okay? I'm not talking about taking your works, saying, God, look at my works. Um, I know I made some sins. Um, can you still save me because I've done good deeds? No, I'm not talking about that. You're beyond that. We're beyond that. You're in the kingdom. You're solidified. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But your heart, how can I put a smile on my father's face? How can I put a smile on the king's face? A son will always be a son of a father. A father has a son. He will always be his son. Is he always well-pleasing to his father? Probably not. But when he is well-pleasing to the father, the father will demonstrate an emotion of pleasure in his son. And I believe God is the same way with us. And so these are the three. They went to get David water. It was not a request. All three of these men killed giants. Okay, if we go back to verse 8, they killed giants. And you notice in verse 8, um, 23, 8, it says this, um, the technomite that sat in the seat the word sat in a seat there is, is very key here because he rested. The most fruitful warrior was the one who sat in the seat, who rested, who rested. How well you rest determines how well you perform. Rest in what? And that's going to be the, the, the key understanding to level four. Resting in what? Resting in, 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 in the king? Yeah, resting in the king, resting in Jesus. Amen. But let's take it to the other side of the coin where the New Testament is. Who are the three of Jesus? Well, Peter, James, and John. These are the men that survived to write scripture. These are the men that were actually giving out approval. They are the ones that gave the Apostle Paul approval to preach the gospel. They served the king. They loved the king. They loved Jesus. This is thought. In, modern, in the modern world, to be the greatest level of servanthood, right? Go to Luke 9, 28 through 3. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James and went up into a mountain to pray. So notice he takes Peter, John, and James. As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening, and behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to point something about, out about Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John all have a meaning in their name. John means grace. James means supplant. Peter means rock. Grace supplants the rock. That's what their names would mean in, in, in an actual understanding. Them being on that mountain is very, very cool. I don't know if that does anything for you or you guys care about names and what they mean, but to me, it's cool. It's where it's, it's, it's you see a picture of, of, of grace sur, supplanting the law. Is it now it's the time of grace? And so on this mountain, you're going to see the very same thing, actually. And behold, there talked with him two men, Moses and, he, and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. So they were speaking of his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And they were awake. They saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as um, they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, um, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said, while he thus spake, there came a cloud. This cloud overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it closed and told no man in those days of any of those things which they had heard or seen. So these men did not share this with anyone else. This was only for them, okay? They were the only three. So you have the 70, you have the 12, then you have the three. This is in the same chapter and verse in Luke. So you get to see the progression. You actually have five, the 5,000 being fed, right? With not including women and children. The 70, the 12, then the three. You get to see the progression of, of revelation that happens is the three got the highest revelation. They were on the mountain with Jesus. What did they get to see? What was the revelation they got? What was it that they were, uh, that Jesus knew that they would understand? Is that when Moses and Elijah were present, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And the voice from heaven said, hear him. Hear who? Who needs to hear who? Who was talking? It was Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his decease. And guess what? The Old Testament, the law and the prophets speak of Jesus. And now it was time. Now was the time for them to hear him. The law and the prophets would be fulfilled in Christ. And they would see Jesus as the Messiah. And this is the thing. They would actually understand now that Jesus is 100% king. They had a revelation that Jesus was king. And they wanted to serve the king. And these men served the king. Even Peter exclaimed to Jesus. He explained his heart to Jesus saying, I love you. He's the one that told Jesus, I love you. These men were the most fruitful. They're the ones that wrote scripture. They were martyred. They died. Peter was, was, was crucified upside down. James was beheaded. They gave their lives for this cause. So you can see their dedication. 
They love the kingdom. They love the king. And this is thought, I'm telling you, to be the greatest level of servanthood. But the problem is, is that man has made this a works thing. Work to have a heart after God. Be the hardest worker. And, and, and we challenge people to work. But it's not about doing the most work, right? Because there's people that are pretty busy and still don't accomplish a single thing. I've seen a lot of people who have hustles and who are busy and who still never accomplish anything. It's not about being busy. It's actually about having a relationship with the king, serving the king, and make sure his heart, making sure his heart is tended to. These men, you can even see it with the story of David. They went out of their way. They risked their lives. They did the most work. They were the greatest servants. They were the greatest servants. But I'm going to pose to you one question. Not one question, one thought. They, this isn't the greatest level. They were fruitful, yes. But they still maintained their identities. Okay? They still did glorious works and maintained their identities. And this is where the next level comes in. This is a level where man gets no glory. Where it's not about us. It's not about my purpose. It's not about God having a plan for me. It's not about me in any way. All the other levels still have elements of it being about you. It's, oh, I want to have a heart for the king. Oh, I love God. And it's about how much you love God. But you'll even see this. Okay, this is an example. You'll even see it in the, with Peter and John. Peter and John, is it Peter's the one that tells Jesus, I love you. And betrays him. And you have John, who's the one that says, I'm the beloved never betrays him, gets the greatest revelations ever known to man that still puzzle mankind till this day, the book of Revelations. So let's go from level three. So we have, you serve God out of convenience, level one. Level two, you serve the kingdom. Level three, you, 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 you have a heart for the king. You're here for the king. You're here to serve the king. Then what's level four? And how do we get there? Right? Amen? Let's get to level four. And here's level four. First Samuel 23, 16. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. The name Jonathan actually means the Lord is a giver. John means grace. John the beloved, the one who was loved by Jesus. His name means grace. And you can even put it this way. Is it? John is calling himself, grace is the most loved of God. Grace is the most loved. Is when we understand grace and we, we, we seek revelation of grace and what it means that we don't deserve it. or We can't get good enough for it. It's not about me. It's not about my works. It's not about uh, how good I am or, or, how, or how bad I am. And I understand that it's strictly by his strength, by his power. It has nothing to do with me. I stop being self-occupied with myself. I stop focusing on myself. I stop looking to myself and I start looking to God and what Jesus did on the cross and that he paid. 
and that God is supplying and that God is making a way and that God is when we start talking like that, it it's something so beautiful. So John means grace. And so if you kind of put these two in, into perspective, because you understand now that the people who had the greatest heart for the king was John and Jonathan. And I'm going to explain their stories right now. And, and there's such a beauty to both of these men's stories. It means there's there's the person who lives by grace and the person who believes the Lord is a giver. Okay, these two men had the highest revelation of God's grace. And they become the man. They become the men with their heart after the king. Well, why? The Bible said is it's it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you understand what Jesus is talking about, that's between men. That's between you and I. If me and you, it is more blessed for me to give to you than to receive. And God always stays, okay? Check this out. In the most blessed position. God stays in the blessed position. He will not succumb to you being able to be in the most blessed position in relationship to him. It is better to receive from God as a man than to give to God because man in himself has nothing to offer God. That is a re revelation is that the Lord is a giver. Okay. Well, what is the Lord giving? That's the key. Well, the Bible says Jesus died for our sins. He's a propitiation for our sins. Okay. What does that mean? That means that God gave Jesus to us so that we can give Jesus back to God so that we could be right with God. Not by our efforts, not by our works, but because we gave Jesus back to God. God only accepts what he provides as the solution and answer. Let me give you another example. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Okay. You see the story here? Man tries to cover his own shame with fig leaves. God says that will not do. He makes skins of clothes himself. God provides for himself. And we understand that what God provided, we receive without restraint. The man who can receive that without restraint is then able to get the fullness that God has to offer and give it back to God. This becomes the most blessed man among us. This becomes the person with the heart after God because God is no longer requiring you through the law, demanding, saying, hey, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. God made a perfect man, Jesus Christ, who loved him with all his heart, with all his soul and with all his might. And so it is the spirit of God in us that is loving himself back. It's no longer me looking to myself to say, muster up the strength to love God. I'm not saying I don't love God because I love God. I personally, I love God. And, I, and I'll say that. But the focus isn't on my love for God. It's on how much did Jesus love God and how much can I let that love flow through me. Now, here's some facts, okay? Jonathan and John were the closest to the king. Jonathan said his soul in, 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 in um, 1 Samuel 18, Jonathan spoke of David and his relationship and said that their souls were knitted together. They were one. 
okay? John laid his head on the chest of Jesus. And in 1 Samuel 23, 16, it says that Jonathan strengthened David. The word strengthen here, it actually means he ran with urgency to his needs and will. He ran with urgency. He ran with urgency to David's needs, okay? They had moral. They had the right attitude. They were loyal. They weren't always rewarded, but that didn't matter because the focus was not them. It was how can we make sure Jesus, how can we make sure David gets all the credit and all the glory? Jonathan was the rightful prince to the throne. Jonathan should have been king. Jonathan should have been the one to follow after his father Saul and be king. But you know what Jonathan did? Without a second thought, he took off his clothes. He took off his royalty. He gave him his sword, his bow, his weaponry. He gave David all of himself, his full identity. He gave it to David. Because David was anointed king. If we go to John, he was the only one that risked dying by being at the foot of the cross. The only one that risked dying. Out of all the 12, he was the only one that risked dying. John was, like I said before, given the greatest revelation. Jonathan was one with David. And this is the beauty of it, of, of all of this. This is the beauty of all of this, is that this is the highest level. And Paul says this, yet not I, it's yet not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. John the Baptist said it like this. I must decrease so that he could increase. Jesus said it like this. Let the greatest of, among you be the servant of all, the least among you. The least, the one who is least among you, let him be the greatest. Why? Why? Why, why that concept? That seems quite contrary to how the world thinks. Because these men would show the most dependence on Jesus. They would show the most dependence on the king. And they would acquiesce and they would bow and they would humble themselves at all times, in all manners, in all ways to the will of the king. This is having a heart after God. It's resting in the king's anointing. It's resting in the king's anointing. We must lose our, our identity, our dignity, ourself to the identity of the king. I'm no longer trying to be like Christ. Read the scriptures. It's not there. It doesn't say that. There's no verbiage in the Bible that says to be like Christ. It's you become, like Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. This is his life. This is his life. My life is his life. It's not my life anymore. And I can't sit around here thinking that it's my life and that I have to fight for my dignity and somehow be somebody and somehow attain some purpose. No, my purpose is what? In Romans, it says to be like him, to be conformed to his image. Is that my image would then become his image. It's his actual image is that I become Christ to the world. And I'm not saying that I am Christ 
in myself. I'm angel. But guess what? We don't need to discuss that. We don't need to, to fight for that. It's Christ to the world. I lose my identity to the glory of the king. So how can I grow? How can I grow in this? There's a, a, a portion of scripture that um, in Luke that talks about being forgiven much. Those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little, the same loves little. Is the greater revelation I have of how much he loves me, the more I love. How much I'm forgiven. What, what does forgiveness have to do with love? Forgiveness has everything to do with love. Is that I know how much I'm loved by how much I'm forgiven. And Paul looked at himself as the chief of sinners. Why? So that he could understand at the highest level how much he was loved by God. If he is the chief of sinners, then imagine how much love God has to have for him. To forgive him and for him to be anything for God. Not only a servant, but an apostle. It's insane. I grow in his love for me to love him better. We do not love him first. And then we can receive his love from the love that we gave him. No, it's that we are first loved. The Bible says he loved us first. So then we're able to love him back because we experienced the flow, the heart of the king toward us. And it moved us. David was so righteous in all of his acts. It, it touched Jonathan's heart so many times. How righteous, how amazing, how, how, how loyal David was to God. And it moved him in such a way that his love for the king grew. When you see how righteous, how holy Jesus is, how beautiful he is and perfect in all of his ways, perfect in every season, angry when he's supposed to be angry, sad when he's supposed to be sad, crying when he's supposed to be crying. I mean, he's perfect in every season, hungry when he's supposed to be hungry. Something about that just moves your heart. So. Pray. Take some time, reflect after this, and ask God, how much do does he love us or love me? God, how much do you love me? Because I want my loyalty and my commitment to you, to your kingdom, to your people, but most importantly to you, to grow. I want it to grow. I can't focus on the growth. Oftentimes everyone's like, oh, I just want to grow. I just want to grow. I just want to grow. Growing is a byproduct of a relationship with God. As I focus on my relationship and improve that. And with time, as I focus on the relationship, growth happens. If I focus on growth, I'm focusing on a fruit. It's like telling there to be a pear without a tree. It's redundant and it doesn't work. Let's pray that we begin to exemplify, to demonstrate, to show a heart for the king. But it first starts with realizing how much this Jesus, when he died on the cross for your sins, loves you. And my friends, he loves you a great deal. He loves me a great deal. 
And I'll steal Paul's words, chief of sinners. I am spiritual because I am carnal, because I know in my flesh dwells no good thing. And not, not for one second can I depend on myself to be anything before God. It's only the fact that Jesus lives in my heart that I'm anything before God. It's Jesus in me that makes me anything before God. And Jesus is everything before God. That's why the, there's the role of the Son. You know, the Bible says Father, Son. It's The role of the Son is for you. It's created for us. It's a place for us in God, in His kingdom. But it only happens through Jesus. So let us pray. And ask God to reveal to us a greater revelation of His love. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity today to just be a vessel. I'm nothing in myself. We are nothing in ourselves. But this is all you. This is your church. This is your kingdom. This is your business. This is you. Any man that lays claim to it is a fool. This is all you. We give you all the Anything good that happens from this, any person that is saved, any person that, that is healed, any person that is blessed, any person that is encouraged, it's all you. Let no man take the credit. And let us today lose our identities in you. It's a simple prayer. God, help me to lose my identity in you. I've been spending too much time trying to be myself and trying to improve myself. Help me to look to you and to be you to the world. So when people see me, they can only see you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.